want a bit of the quiet life. I want a bit of shelf indulgence. If there is reading, give me all of it. Join the show on the Microbrew Radio. Listen to Jim, Wendy, and Emily. Join in the conversation. I want to hear it. I want to read it. I want a bit of shelf Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Shelf Indulgence. Your microbrew radio dose of everything bookish that you need. It's me, Jim, and I'm joined as usual by Wendy. Good evening, Wendy. Hello. And uh, tonight, we are, today rather, we are looking at a bit of a different book to usual. One, one with, uh, it's a non-fiction, and it's a very interesting storybook. But we'll get into that in a moment. Let's start off with talking about a little visit down to Poetry Corner. And seeing as I completely swamped Poetry Corner last time, uh, that we recorded an episode. I'm going to let Wendy take over this time. Okie doke. Well, uh, my choice for tonight has been um, triggered by uh, walking my dog. And um, and I've been seeing a number of older dogs um, tottering about. And um, and so this is one of my favourite poems. It's called Walking My 75-Year-Old Dog by Billy Collins. <laughs> She's painfully slow. So I often have to stop and wait while she examines some roadside weeds as if she were reading the biography of a famous dog. And she's not a pretty sight anymore, dragging one of her hind legs, her coat too matted to brush or comb, and a snout as white as marshmallow. We usually walk down a disused road that runs along the edge of a lake, whose surface trembles in a high wind and is slow to ice over as the months grow cold. We don't walk very far before she sits down on her worn haunches and looks up at me with her roomy eyes. Then it's time to carry her back to the car. Just thinking about the honesty in her eyes, I realise I should tell you. She's not really 75. She's 14. I guess I was trying to appeal to your sense of the bizarre, the curiosities of the sideshow. I mean, who really cares about another person's dog? Everyone else, everything else I've said is true, except the part about her being 14. I mean, she's old, but not that old. And it's not polite to divulge the true age of a lady. <laughs> oh, wonderful. I like that. I really like that. And I think, uh, yeah, sometimes people don't, well, there's dog people and there's not dog people, aren't there? Um, exactly. That's for the dog people. Yeah, definitely. And it, you know, when you're walking, it, it's it's a it's a really, it's it's like um, it is like an alternative community, isn't it? Because if you've got a dog, people will stop and talk to you, yeah, and and just pass the time of day. And it what's really funny, and it's got this is why I picked this. It's got me thinking. I think um, when I'm walking the dog. Um, I can spot other dogs and know their names, and rarely do I know the names of the owners. Yes, <laughs> yes, completely. I, 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 when I go a walk in the in the morning with my little dog, uh, we see Betsy and Odin, uh, and um, I can't think now. My head's gone blank. But a couple of other dogs, and I, I know their first. I know the dogs' names, like you say. But... Right. Um, so. 
excellent choice for Poetry Corner. Thank you very much, Wendy. You're welcome. So turn our attention to our choice of book this week. Have you ever wondered if you can take part in Microbrew Radio as a volunteer? Well, you can. Simply email us on microbrewradio at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch on one of the many social media services. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. At microbrewradio. Hmm, get in touch now. Hmm. So this was a book that was given to me as a birthday present last year and I've been itching to read it ever since and uh, the way to get it to the top of my to be read pile was to convince you that we're doing it for the show so Once Upon a Tone by Oliver Darkshire now Once Upon a Tone by Oliver Darkshire is a non-fiction book it is a it is a storybook, I would argue, because it does tell a story. It's biographical. But it's not like an ordinary biography, is it, Wendy? No, no, it isn't. It's, um, I have to say, I've never read anything quite like this before because it's just, for me, it's a series of vignettes that are chronological. Um, but um, the thing that really um, won me over is it's about something that I'm passionate about, which is bookshops. Yeah. And so as soon as I heard that, I was hooked. First of all, as I'd started to read it, I didn't realise that the bookshop that it refers to, Sutherland's, is actually a real bookshop. Um, I only found that out when I when I looked at um, when I looked at the internet. Um, and it's this guy's uh, experience of what happens when he goes. Um, uh, to he applies for an apprenticeship and he gets he gets taken on by the um, by the shop's owner and um and it's about his I suppose his experiences as uh, while he works there and um it is it's really really interesting if you are fascinated by bookshops yes I think if you are a bibliophile. This is a book for you. Uh, if you don't know what the word bibliophile is, it's probably not the sort of book you're going to enjoy. Uh, <laughs> so bibliophile is a book lover. And what's great about it is it's written by a bibliophile. Oliver Darkshire is a book lover through and through and through. And he loves his job of being uh, an antiquarian bookseller. Um because of the nature of the job and how it allows him to thrive. I'm not sure Oliver would actually use the word thrive there, but it allows him to manage to do a job. Whereas, you know, at the start of the book, when we meet him first, he's struggling to keep a job down because he can't seem to stay awake in work. Mm. And it's not until he's been at the job for a while that, He's eventually diagnosed with a form of narcolepsy. But, you know, it, it, he enters this world of oddballs and geeks and weirdos who are all fellow bibliophiles, antique booksellers, that, um, that don't quite meet with the modern thrust and, thrust and cut of business, would you say, Wendy? Mm, definitely, definitely. 
it's a it's a different world that work moves at its own paces and works in its own ways. And I I found the the descriptions delightful. I found his view of the world fascinating. And I suppose for me, one of the things that made this book really stand out compared to others that are similar that I've read in terms of being biographical about someone's job or work, this is laugh out loud funny. Yeah, there are there, there are some really funny bits in it, and um, and I found myself having a giggle definitely. I mean, for me, I, I, it's it's made me reflect on what is it about bookshops that people find so absolutely fascinating, and <laughs> and they are one of those few places where it's terribly easy to believe in magic, isn't it? Yes. Because these places contain so much knowledge and so much creativity and they're always quiet. It doesn't matter when you... I've never been in a noisy bookshop and I don't know whether that's acoustically because all of the books absorb the noise, but they're always quiet and and reverent places in a way sometimes that libraries aren't. And, um, And there's always... I'll tell you what it is for me. There's always the thought that you could discover something absolutely life-changing. Oh yeah, in a bookshop, it, in and particularly second-hand and antique bookshops. Yeah, yeah, they have a whole new level of magic and mystique. Mm. I I don't know about you, Wendy, but this book certainly did have me thinking back to Tilly and the Book Wanderers. Yes, yeah, definitely. And you know, when I did my um, when I did my desert. Island Library, I, I chose Mr. Puss 24-hour bookshop. Yeah. It reminded me, that it took me absolutely back to there. Um, There are, and, and I, I've had a look since, and there are actually quite a number of books that have been written about bookshops and having bookshops as the title, some complete fantasy and, and some factual as well. Yeah. Uh, but I just think it's one of those places that people fascinating and it's terribly easy to, to weave a story around them. Yeah, and I think I think you're right, there is a degree of magic about bookshops because if you look at whether it's Tilly and the Book Wanderers or our own personal experiences of bookshops and libraries or Terry Pratchett's um, Library of the Unseen University. Um, Unseen, you know, that... These are places where, you know, that they they do seem to defy a bit of space and time, and there are certain, you know, mysteries around them and how they function. And actually, one of the biggest things is, as Oliver says in the book, sometimes the biggest mystery about a bookshop is how on earth it manages to stay afloat. Yeah, no, that is absolutely right. That is absolutely right. And particularly in town centres, because if you think about it, I mean, rental prices are absolutely through the roof. And I would imagine that the mark upon books is actually quite low. If I if I think about the, the royalties that you get, you know, from a book, um, it, the, I would think the markup is pretty low. So it, it does make you wonder how they actually keep afloat. Now, I... On that, in that vein, on that thought, 
I know you've not quite made it all the way through the book, Wendy, but I have you, Have you seen at the back that there is a there is a game to play? Yes. Now this this is one of the things that really tickled me about this book because what Oliver Darcher has done at the back of the book is he has included a role playing dice game somewhat akin to the style that you would um, play Dungeons and Dragons where you, you have a scenario and you roll a dice to find the outcome. It's a, it's a, it's it's one of these RPG RPG games role play games. Um, where it's it's a very simple and short game uh, called Bookshop the game, mm. and it's 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 a it's a jolly bit of fun, you know. It, it talks about and, it, and it's all about the fact that you know the the rent due and you have to pay it, and unfortunately, uh, the way you get money is by selling books. And there seems to be an awful lot of obstacles in the way to actually achieving selling books. Mm. <laughs> um, particularly, and what comes out through the vignettes that he tells us about his experience in the bookshop, but the number of people that come into the shop not wanting to buy books. That's right. <laughs> and I love I love the track that he gives you. So there's uh, quite early on in the book, he talks about when he was being trained, yeah. um, how it is that actually, if you're a really good book salesman, you sell the third book that you offer, never the first one, rarely yeah. the second one, always the third one. Yeah. And therefore, the third one has to be the biggest and the most expensive. And he talks you through this process. And honestly, Jim, I thought, oh, my God, I've met that salesman. Yeah, and I've been, been that person. You've been there. <laughs> you've been there. I'm looking for a book on, oh, well, have you looked at this one? Yeah, oh, that's good, yeah, but no, I mean, it's not quite. And what about this one here? Oh, that, that's, that's, interesting. but of course, if you'd really like a book on the subject, I mean, there is this. Oh, what's that shiny thing you've produced for me? Because, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you've invested enough time and effort now that you are going to buy something. That's right. That's absolutely yeah. right. And and I also found the bits that he talked about in terms of um, the reality around secondhand books and around um, the, the difference between an anti an antiquarian bookshop and a charity a charity shop that sells books. So that that's literally what you're selling is just the read if you're in a charity shop. So you're just selling the read to somebody who wants to come in and perhaps wants a bit of a bargain and doesn't want to pay the cover price but for antiquarian books it's about condition it's about the edition it's about about um the print um the illustrations and and i remember going years and years and years ago i remember going to a uh uh antiques fair and and at the time i was into the flower fairy illustrations yeah flower fairy books and um and i came across this stall and they were selling framed illustrations and i i couldn't get around i could just couldn't understand couldn't get my head around why somebody would cut up a book to to frame the plates in it and of course he explains that in in this um in this book yeah. that uh sometimes if a book is really 
in really dreadful, dreadful condition. Um, sometimes you just have to do what you need to to save what you can of it. Yeah. Of course, then it made perfect sense. Because yeah, because one a print out of it might be quite saleable, whereas the condition of the book and the spine, the binding, yeah. yeah, and it really makes you think about not just the art of selling books, but the art of making books. Yes. Yeah. I'm curious. Are you curious? I'm curious about history, about Burton's history, about people, about the community. I'm curious about all these things and I like to talk about them on a microphone. Here I am, talking away. If you'd like to do the same, and if you're curious, why don't you come down and bring your curiosity to Microbrew Radio. Come on down and talk about everything you're curious about here on the show. Microbrew Radio. It's a place for the curious. Well, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed the book. Um, I haven't got all the way through it. I would say to anyone out there who wants to read it or is interested in reading it, it's not a gripping page turner where you're going to be driven, are you, Wendy, by plot? No, no. But I tell you, if you're a people watcher, this book appeal to you. Because although he does talk a little bit about the about the things that he does in the shop and and the, the the skills that he learns and all of that, the majority of this book is taken up by these quirky little vignettes about the customers that he serves, and you realise the weird and wonderful range of people that frequent these. The one that really made me laugh was that I think it was called Bride and Groom. And it's the woman who's been on a shopping spree. It's obviously something like her anniversary. And she's got to buy uh, a, a book for her husband. So she goes into the shop and she says, I, I want to buy a book for my husband. And it's really clear that she hasn't got, she's never listened to him about, he's, he's a book collector. He's a very serious book collector. He takes his collection incredibly seriously. It's his pride and joy. She has no idea what he collects. She just knows there's this collection of books around that he fawns over. But she has no idea on topic. She's no idea on age. She doesn't know whether he collects first editions. And it's really this, it just makes me laugh when people say, um, and this is non-readers, so if somebody says to me, well, you know, I want to buy you something, what would you buy me? And I say, a book token. And people go, oh, no, I'm not going to buy that. That's boring. No. No, it's not. You have no (laughs) idea. You have no idea who I am. (laughs) Uh, And and I think even if you know a person, there's knowing a person well and knowing them to the point where you could buy a book for them is a different thing. Yes, yes. I mean, you and I know each other very well in... Uh, in terms of books and literature, in fact, I'd say our friendship is more about books and literature than it is about anything else. Yeah, well, I'd absolutely agree with that, Jim. Yeah. yeah, and and I would feel absolutely confident to be able to walk into a bookshop and buying you a book. That wouldn't be, and I'm sure you'd feel the same for me. Absolutely right. I wouldn't have a clue about what to order for menu for you. No, no, that's that's <laughs> right. That's absolutely right. But but you see, it's that thing about, and it's it is this sort of there's a bit of a weird escapism, isn't there, that you get from this book, 
because I think that when people say, I couldn't possibly buy you a book token, because, well, you know, it's just it's the equivalent it's, it's of not, money. Yeah, it's not personal. But, it, you know, what they're giving you isn't a book token, is it? What they're giving you is a day out. So I could go, and I have done this. Um, when I've had two or three book tokens to spend, if I've had a birthday or something and different people have given me them, I've spent a whole day in Waterstones and mm. other good shop, other good bookshops are available. But I've spent a whole day there. Yeah. And, and, and in the big one that I used to go to in Coventry, uh, which I don't think is there anymore, but it used to be fantastic. It's on uh, two different levels. They had big, soft leather armchairs and settees dotted around this big store, and they had a fantastic coffee machine in the corner. Oh, I just spent the whole day there. Why wouldn't you? Um, and and the thing was then being able to be selective enough and really, really strong struggling to decide what with these book tokens and yeah. i had the most fabulous day so yeah. if if you are buying for a a bibliophile don't ever underestimate the value of giving them a book token because it's a day out and then they get the book which is on oh, top of that yeah and also it's that thing of i think when it comes to book tokens when if you're buying me a book it if you know me well, you might be able to get me a book that I'm going to enjoy, that I'm going to like. If you know me, okay, you might get somewhere near. And I'll go, oh, yeah, that's a nice, that's a nice book. I'll put it in my pile. I've got a massive to be read pile. If, if you're going to buy me a book and it's going to be the next thing I read, you won't know me really well. Yes, absolutely. That's absolutely spot. Now, when it comes to buying books, because I have a massive pile of books to be read. And let's be, let's be honest, Wendy, in terms of our to be read piles, we're not talking piles, we're talking mountains. Yes, absolutely. Yeah? And when it comes to those, the fact of buying a new book, I always feel is slightly tinged with an element of guilt. Because I, I don't, need another book because I've got lots of them and that money could possibly be spent more sensibly so if you mm. gave me money as a birthday present I might be inclined that I've got to spend it on something more practical whereas if you give me a book token that's guilt-free book shopping it is it absolutely is, because it has to be spent, doesn't it? Yeah, and on books. Mm. So there we go, gents. I think you've got some solid advice there on <laughs> buying for bibliophiles. <laughs> Never feel bad about giving us a book token. You're giving us much more than you think. Um, Do you know the other thing? I just want to say one more thing about this book. The other thing that I found when I was reading it, was that it brought to mind, do you remember a TV series called Black Books? Oh, do I remember? I could <laughs> quote several episodes. <laughs> so what made me laugh about Black Books, Black Books is that he's about a bookshop and it's about um, somebody who's really completely and utterly disinterested in selling books, but he owns the bookshop. 
So well, he has to bring anyway. somebody in to sell the books because actually he's really not bothered whether people buy books or not. Um, and it's it's about that. But it's the attitude of, you know, just don't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> and and you got a little bit of that from this story. You know, yes. there are there are people who that you know they're busy cataloging or they're yeah. busy inspecting this book. Don't bother me. Yeah. Um why do you want to, why why are you interrupting me to sell your book? Exactly, exactly. I'm very and busy that did you being a bookseller. <laughs> yeah, I just I thought it was it was those sort of things that just made me smile. And do you know what? I think that um if I had complete free choice, if I came if I was reincarnated and I could choose any job that I wanted, I have to say, Jim. I think I'd have a fair crack at being a bookshop owner or yeah. at least working in a bookshop. Yeah. That, that, to me, it's always my, you know, like if everything else goes wrong, I'll go and get a job at Waterstones mm. or a library. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll, just, I'll be absolutely fine. I could spend the rest of my days Dewey decimalising and I'd be quite happy. The difficulty is if you were the owner of a bookshop, and you'd got all of this stock because some of the books in the stories in Once Upon a Tomb are actually incredibly rare and quite valuable yeah. as well. You couldn't um, not. Are you exactly? You wouldn't want to part with them, would you? No, you and the, other, the I think the other side of it is also that there are people that come to buy books, and I'd be like, "No, you can't have that book." Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're the you're the wrong person for that book. Yeah, you're, you're not going to appreciate it properly. Uh, yeah, if you're not going to appreciate, can't buy it. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to look at this book instead? Because I think it's much more. Here's a lovely Dan Brown you might like to take away with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Before we um, finish on our once upon a time and some more, let's let's take a little um, glance over at what Granny has read. Okay. Because Wendy, I don't, well, you, I'm sure yourself and other followers of our social medias will have seen that I had a terrible misfortune happen to me this week. I did. I saw it. Yeah, I was, I was mugged by a charity shop. Yeah. Uh, and sure enough, I came away with a stack of books um, for Gran. I say for Gran. I'll probably read them as well. About but, yeah, yeah. My excuse is there for Gran. Um, and so the, our book, Out to be Red Pile, Granny has a to be red shelf. Um, I've, I've fully stocked it at the moment. And she's she's read um, a, a couple of new ones and a couple of uh, charity stone finds, the uh, charity shop finds. So let's have a look at what she's read this week. So she started off by reading a book that we'll be reading soon, Wendy. The Power of the Dog by Thomas Savage. Oh, yes, yeah. And she said, it's different. It's different as she wasn't expecting the ending. Oh, right. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that sounds good. Approval. Different yeah. as she wasn't expecting the ending. Now, she's also read... Um, the new Ian Rankin, the new Rebus thriller, A Heart Full of Headstones. Mm. Uh, 
She says it's brilliant and there must be another one coming afterwards because it doesn't end properly. All <laughs> oh, right, okay. It's it's there's it's not oh it's not resolved. It's not resolved. Actually, there's been quite a gap, hasn't there? Between yeah. um from the last rebus and then this one came, but there'd been quite a gap of a few years. Um, well, and I think people were absolutely desperate for another rebus. Yeah. He's in the dock, mm. accused in this book. Reba stands accused in this book. So I think that sounds really good. Oh, Grant said it was brilliant. Um, she's then read The Black House by Peter May. Oh, yes, read that, yeah. Um, which she said was brilliant. Mm. It had everything that she'd looked for in a book, you know, um, murder, mystery. Yeah, those two things, really. <laughs> the thing with him as well, I don't know whether you've ever, ever read any Peter May. I haven't but, yet. Um, he is one of those authors that has, he, he almost uses location as another character. Yeah. His stuff is very evocative and, um, and he writes place very well. Now, this next book that she's read... She said it was brilliant. And it does come with great plaudits, this book. Mm. But according to the Daily Mail, which we all know is a reputable... Um, oh, absolutely. Um, it says on the front cover, according to the Daily Mail's reviewer, up there in the same league as Silence of the Lambs for sheer heart-thumping excitement. Oh. So this is Chelsea Kane's... Heart sick. Mm. I found this in a chat shop, and I and I suspect Wendy, this might be one we have to add to our pile. Oh really? Well, let me read you the back of the book. Okay then. Are you scared? Gretchen asks. She dabs his forehead with the cloth, his cheek, the back of his neck, his collarbone. He thinks he sees a flash of emotion in her eyes. Sympathy. Then it's gone. Whatever you think this is going to be like, she whispers, it's going to be worse. When beautiful serial killer Gretchen Lowell captured her last victim, the man in charge of hunting her down, she quickly established who was really in control of the investigation. So why... After 10 days of horrifying physical and mental torture, did she release Detective Archie Sheridan from the brink of death and hand herself in? Mm. Two years on, Archie returns to lead the search for a new killer whose recent attacks on teenage girls have left the city of Portland reeling. Shadowed by vulnerable young reporter Susan Ward, Archie knows that only one person can help him climb into the mind of this psychopath. But can Archie finally manage to confront the demons of his past without being consumed by them? Wow, Jim, that sounds it's a bit unusual, isn't it? Yeah. So Tess Gerritsen has reviewed this, saying, what may be the creepiest serial killer ever created? This is an addictive read. Oh, wow. I think Gran read it in two days. So. That's quick even for you, Gran. 
Yeah. And I think, when, well, when Graham was talking about it, I, I was like, yeah, I think Wendy's going to like this one. <laughs> <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think it could be an interesting one for us to visit in a future show. Yeah, definitely. Quick. You must listen to Microbrew Radio, and there's only one way. Well, actually, there are three ways. It's microbrewradio.com. You can listen on there. Or we have an app, which is available on the App Store and the Google Play Store. Get it now. And, of course, there's Alexa. Simply say, launch Microbrew Radio. Do it now. It's the only way you'll survive here on Microbrew Radio. Right, so let's turn our attentions then back to Once Upon a Tone. Yeah. So we've said this is a different book. We've, you know, it, it is, it's a story. It's a series of stories. It's the story of this man's life as a bookseller. Mm. And it's autobiographical, but it has so much more to it because of its location, its topic of books. Is there, was there something for you in the other colleagues at Sutherland's? I thought it was I thought it was really interesting because the way he paints the other characters in the book or the other or the other people, his colleagues in the book, you don't get a huge amount of um you don't get a huge amount of character in there, so you don't you don't they don't play a major part in 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 the book itself. But what you get is the essence of the place and you get the culture of the place. Mm. And with very, very little detail, everybody plays their part and you you immediately know what it's like to work there. And you immediately know who the movers and shakers are. And you immediately know who are the workers and who are the skivers. You know, yeah. you you just you get that sense of what's going on with with actually very very little detail. Yes, I mean i I have no doubt in my mind. I couldn't describe the man particularly. I don't know what he looks like, um, but uh, there's no doubt in my mind that the bookseller known as James mm. although not the owner or manager of the bookshop at all is very much in charge of the bookshop <laughs> yeah yeah he's, absolutely he's, he's the self-appointed guardian mm. of the bookshop um there's a really wonderful um part of the story you know the a, a vignette if you will where um Oliver talks about when he discovers what happens to the rubbish. Yes. <laughs> um, being a bookshop, nothing is as it seems. Nothing, and an antique bookshop does not function in the way you would imagine it. And you know, what, what if, if you work in an office or a commercial place? You put stuff in the bin, and in the morning the bin's empty. And you give very little thought to how that has happened, where it's gone, or what's gone on. Do you? The bin's been emptied by someone, a fairy, a cleaner. I don't know, but the bin's empty. Mm. Uh, and James uh, 
we discover that James is responsible for emptying the bins. Mm. Because it's own very James style. Because the way Oliver first discovers this is he tries to dispose of a broken stapler. But no matter how many times he throws the broken stapler away or where he throws the broken stapler away in the shop, it manages to find its way back to his desk every time. <laughs> because well, why be throwing that away? No, put that back. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, that made me smile, and also um, the bit that I just really, really made me smile was the different definitions that the people in the bookshop use for the condition of a book. Yes. <laughs> so, so you know, and you can see this if you go on to if you go onto eBay to buy books, or you go onto the second-hand marketplace at Amazon to buy books. Um, it will give you a condition, so it will tell you what what condition it's in, and it, it'll either be good, like new, or it will be somewhere, or it will be, you know, well torn or well loved. Yeah, all of those things. And he goes through one of the chapters in this book. Goes through actually what that really means. Yeah. <laughs> And and how people will compete, and how that they will want to change each other's definition of the condition of that book if it doesn't comply with what they think it is. Yes. And I think I've worked I've worked in places like that where people have their own way of doing things, and you know, heaven forbid that they should be asked to change or adopt a different way of doing oh. it. And it really did make me smile because it says so much about the people who work in these places. Yeah. Yes, and I think that's just, isn't it? I think what what is the charm of this story and what is the charm of these places is it does take a certain type of person to fit and yes. to thrive in definitely. these places. Yeah, definitely. And actually, you would think to yourself, it's a good job there are places like Southerns because I'm not sure who else would employ them. <laughs> well, yes, it, it's possible that they, uh, yeah, they 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 find their niche, don't they? They certainly do. So, yeah, from that point of view, I thought it was, um, I thought it was a strangely gratifying book. Yeah. Um, in that it just it draws you in, and and actually, there's no earth shattering thing that happens. There's no, you know, there's no plot points to, to pull you through this book. But if you just want to get lost in a sea of niceness, tinged with humour, this is the book to do that for you, yeah. isn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, like yourself, I've not quite made it to the end. Um, and I've, I must, after today's show, I must plunge straight into something else because I want to read it before I interview the person that wrote it. But... <laughs> Um, there is no doubt in my mind that this is a book that I shall return to and finish and relish finishing. Yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's such an easy read and it's so charming. And it is broken into quite nice little chunks, isn't it, as, as, as in its vignettes? It is. They're, they're really short. I mean, if you wanted to, if you're not, if you're the sort of person that really struggles with maybe your concentration span and you're not the sort of person that can sit for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours and reading in that sort of time chunk. Um, this is 
perfect because you could you could pick this up and put it down um and manage to get a chapter in 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 a really short time well oh, some of the some of the chapters 10 minutes yeah and and um not to put too fine a point on it but when i was talking about these to somebody else earlier on this week um it was suggested that it would be a good bathroom book yeah. now i couldn't possibly comment um but do you know it is that sort of pick up and put down book yes and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read my favourite sentence out of this book. Well, no, t- two favourite sentences. The first one is, "A ceramic keg shaped like a beehive emerged out of the cellars, <clears throat> dripping something that smelled like despair." I mean, that is just that's just beautifully written, isn't it? Um, and then the other one, um, which is about the website. The Southerns website, until very recently, was a magnificent testament to early computing and almost entirely non-functional. When you operated it, you could almost hear the clickety-clack of Babbage's ghost in the back of your mind. (laughs) So, you know, it is written, I thought, that his writing style, there is wry humour right the way through it. Oh, yeah. it means it, this is not a hard read at all. In fact, it's a pleasurable read because of the uh, because of his writing style. I thought, and you're right, Jim. I think it is one of those that I will go back to um, because I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, I'm going to read a little bit too, if that's okay, Wendy. Mm. Any respectable old bookshop comes with a few mysteries and curses baked into the foundations. The Southern history starts all the way back in the early 1760s, and the first Southern to open a bookshop decided he no longer wanted to be an apothecary and brought up the stock of a retired book dealer with a partner called Todd. No sooner had they gone into business together in York than Todd and Southern got into a row, the nature of which had not survived to the present day, but which was acrimonious enough that the company biographer was able to trace the silhouette of it some centuries later. Following that, a London branch opened when one of the southern heirs got into some kind of nebulous trouble and needed to be relocated to the other side of the country. Fast forward a hundred years or so, and the last Henry Southern was hit by a tram on Piccadilly as he stepped out of the shop, or so the story goes. Various news clippings from the time tell slightly different stories. Some say he was roaring drunk, others that it was a car. The nuances vary with each telling, but they all agree that he didn't die far from the bookshop, which perhaps explains why his ghost lingers here. Yes. As malevolent spirits go, Henry isn't completely unreasonable. He hasn't killed anyone, as far as we know, and he doesn't stage gas leaks or write unnerving things on the bathroom mirrors. No, Henry's a ghost with manners, even if he's prone to the odd tantrum. So it is to Henry that all unexplained events are attributed such as books hurling themselves from shelves when no one is present, precisely what causes the fits of peak which result in locked cases creaking open and pages fluttering all over the place is unclear, though his pointedly consistent manifestations suggest he looks uncharitably on just about all our decisions. (laughs) Absolutely. I I just, and that's, it just is humorous, isn't it? It just makes you smile. Yeah. Another bit I loved um, is 
just the the nature of the business, you know. Yeah, yeah. You've you've a lot of experience in business yourself, Wendy, and and you'll know um, better than most, and other listeners may well as well that there is always that pressure, that that drive within business to f- perform in new ways, to move with the times, to do things differently, to improve, to be better, to be greater, to be swifter, to be more efficient. And and then there are bookshops like Sutherland's yeah. that are people attempt to drag into the 21st century and they make, I think, even down to the architecture, make every resistance they can to these efforts. Yeah. There's a wonderful bit where, because as you mentioned, Oliver's taken on as an apprentice bookseller. So they've enrolled him in the government's apprentice scheme because, well, the government will pay part of the wages. This is a marvellous idea. We can save some money here. Um, But having done that, obviously then there is some sort of structure and... Uh, formality and process that must be observed to be a proper apprenticeship. Mm. And sure enough, one day an examiner type person, assessor, appears at the bookshop to evaluate Oliver's apprenticeship and make sure he's progressing properly. And frankly, eventually just gives up, doesn't she? Just, well, it's it's like you know she has to she's the day she goes she's got to observe him doing um, customer service so yeah. she has to see him serve a customer. Well, they have to wait for two hours before the first one comes in through the yeah. door, and you just think to yourself, you know, it it just it just makes you smile. Anybody who loves books and who is a reader will find something of pleasure in this. I think. I would I would completely agree. Um, it is it is a book written by a bibliophile for bibliophiles. Mm, definitely. Right now, before we wrap up the show, Wendy, we've got some exciting news to share with everyone, haven't we? We have. So, ladies and gents, we are now available on demand. Woohoo! Yes. Now, not quite all of our episodes are up yet. There's only 22 up, I think, at the moment, uh, at last count. But if you if you go to the website or download the app, um, you know, do do a clever thing with a smart device and use Google. That will help you. And search out Mixcloud. Mixcloud is an app, a software piece uh, that's a podcast sharing piece of software it's a place where you can go to get a podcast uh to my knowledge it's currently the only place our show is available uh, we might be available on other platforms at some point but at the moment Mixcloud is the place to go search for microbrew radio which is our mothership and within microbrew radio you will find a playlist of shelf indulgence episodes so you will be able to go back and listen again and again, and again, if the want should take you. Um, but, yeah, you can go back and catch up. And if you missed us and you weren't listening at the right time or you're on holiday, you can go back and catch up on the episodes you've missed. And I find that jolly exciting, don't you, Wendy? Absolutely. I think that's great. Excellent. Well, 
Next week's episode will be somewhat different because we're back off to a desert island library. It's been a little while since we've had a new desert island library to visit, but we've got a new desert island library to visit next week. Next week, I will be interviewing Matt from the Matt and J-Man show of Microbe Radio, one of the station's founders, and I'll be talking to him all about the books in his Desert Island Library. I'm really looking forward to that, Jim. It's a, it, it's going to be an interesting conversation. I know that much. Brilliant. I, I fear it may have the impact that we least desire as well, Wendy. <laughs> We're going to be shopping. <laughs> oh, no, please, no. <laughs> so, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, Good reading. Happy reading, everybody. This show is part of Microbrew Radio, Burton on Trent's community radio station. You can hear this and plenty of other shows over on microbrewradio.com. Find our app on the iOS or Android stores, or just say, Alexa, play Microbrew Radio. And if you like what you hear, please let us know on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks.